Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of Friends, where Alan and I, along with our special guest, Zabe, will be curating side B of a mixtape featuring songs about friendship. And if you're just joining us on Side B, which for some reason listeners do that, <laughs> it seems really strange to me that when our Side B numbers are higher than our Side A numbers, but you know, whatever. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, Zabe is the host of the Who Will Save Generation X podcast, uh, which is a game show trivia podcast. It's excellent. Uh, he's got lots of great episodes, and Al and I were featured on one not too long ago and had a, had a fun time competing against one another. So Zabe, thanks for coming back for Side B. It is my pleasure, Dave. I'm super stoked to be here. All right. Well, then let's just jump right back in. We're going to keep the same format. Uh, normally, Alan and I switch uh, who goes first on the second on, on, on the flip side. But uh, we're just going to continue the trend of letting our guest go first. So, Zabe, it's yours. Well, I just want to remind the listeners who may not have uh, listened to Side A is that when I had Alan and Dave on my show, I, I had a couple gripes. Had a couple of oh, here's the gripe. Well, <laughs> well this isn't the gripe, <laughs> but I'm just letting you guys know. I'm still teasing it. Okay, yes, yeah, so there was that, something he was not that, happy with. Yes, I wasn't happy. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm placated for right now, but about my first gripe, which was there wasn't enough Robotech on the TV episodes and theme song episodes earlier uh, in I believe it was season one on the show here. So you know, we we we've, we've moved past it. I think I will heal over time. However, there's another gripe, and, and I haven't told the guys which song that there's a landmine waiting for them when they mention their song. So uh, it, I, I've baked it into one of their responses. One of the songs that they have on the list is, is I will reveal the, the gripe here. So, but now that it's my turn to say a song, I just want to say that there is a 0% chance that any mixtape that I have anything to do with is not going to include at least one of these three bands which is The Cure, Depeche Mode, or Morrissey. And since I could not find a satisfactory song for The Cure or Demode, I landed on We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful by the sweet and tender Morrissey himself.
We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful was released as a single by the legendary singer-songwriter Morrissey from his third studio album, Your Arsenal, in 1992. Morrissey said that the lyrics were about the music scene in Manchester, England, where Morrissey is from, if you didn't know. And he said that when he saw an old friend who was the front man for a, man, a, a band from Manchester appear on the cover of music magazines, he, quote, died a thousand deaths of sorrow and lay down in the woods to die. Classic Moz. <laughs> for me, the song highlights uh, a different side of friendship, which is jealousy. I think we can all relate to the feelings of jealousy of one's friends or dealing with jealous feelings friends might have towards you. And, and, and how that affects you and your friendship. The song goes on to give some sage advice on how to deal with these issues. Lyrics like, if we can destroy them, you bet your life we will destroy them. <laughs> if we can hurt them, well, we may as well. Once again, Morrissey shows us the way and gives us the advice we need to navigate this world. From the bottom of my heart, thank you, Morrissey. Yeah, I remember when the song came out and uh, I remember and, and I'm glad you brought this up because it, it's another side of friendship. Um, th there is a certain sense of, of, of jealousy. And I think most of the time it can be healthy because, you know, competition moves us both forward. But but there is a time when maybe, and I'm not thinking of anything specific, um, Alan, but no, I'm not, honestly. I, I, yeah, no, I, I'm thinking of all my friends in general, but yeah. there, there may be a time where, you know, we both had the same dreams or goals to achieve something. Maybe it was academic. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a girl. I don't know. But uh, we, we really are, are kind of pretending and we kind of are deep down happy for our friend. But man, we, we, we want to switch places like we feel we deserved <laughs> that happiness, not our friend. I had a group of friends and uh, <laughs> we're all still friends today and they've gone on to be very wildly successful. You know, they're partners at uh, prestigious accounting firms, they own their own um, uh, uh, medical practices and deans at universities. And I'm some schmuck who talks on a microphone and tells silly jokes and plays sound effects on a podcast. That's much you know, cooler, I, by the way. That's much cooler. Well, much. You're the winner. You are yes. the winner. There. <laughs> it's cool. But, you know, it, it's hard not to look at my, my buddies who are all millionaires and not feel like, oh, man, like, that they're they're living a life you know that that i'll never live um but you know of course i wish them nothing but love and and i would i would never hurt them this is the only only time morrissey's given me advice that that i may not follow he's given me all the love advice love life advice i've ever had needed you know i've always followed that when it comes to uh, how, how to deal with the ladies so that's always <laughs> that's always certain and, and double-decker buses yes and yeah. double-decker buses all right um my, my next song is by Michael Jackson, 1972. It was a number one hit. It is titled, Ben.
have two sons. We talk about our families occasionally on the podcast. Not not a whole lot, but I have two sons. Ben is my younger son, and I Dave was was kind enough uh, his grad graduation his bar mitzvah gifts to both of my my boys. He put together um, multimedia slideshows to to be shown at the the bar mitzvah receptions. Um, this song got me into trouble with my wife. Because it's about a rat? Because it's about a rat. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I love this song. It is one of the most beautiful friendship songs I think that has ever been recorded. And it bears my son's name. And I thought, this is a song that needs to be in the slideshow. I didn't put any rats in the slideshow. You did not. Okay. All right. No. I, well, Mickey might have made an appearance. I don't know. But um, that's a mouse. Chuck E. Cheese is a rat. But anyway, yes, you were saying. Yes. But um, yeah, my wife, whenever I bring up this song, she gets so angry because I love this song so much. And all she can think of when this song is playing, whenever I talk about this song, is Willard and just, you know, rat attacks. It is a creepy movie. I remember being creeped out as a kid. It really is. Um, Speaking of the movie, Don Black and Walter Schorff, they they wrote the seemingly tender ballad, Ben, right, for for the 72 movie of the same name. Uh, it, It was the sequel to a movie called Willard which was remade in 2003, starring Crispin Glover. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the the, re, the remake. Yep. Uh, in Willard, for those out there that do not know, Ben is a pet rat that is trained by a human named Willard who has learned how to make rats do his bidding, and Willard has the rats kill for him. And, you know, at the end of the movie, the rats turn against him. Fun family entertainment. It really is, yeah. Despite its use in a horror movie, the lyrics, I, I think, are just touching. They're sentimental. They make... No reference to rodents, right? Um, This made it a sturdy song about friendship. And in truth, when it was released in 1972, many listeners who were quite moved by the song never knew it was about a rat, um, as the single was marketed independently of the movie entirely. Uh, Ben was one of Michael Jackson's favorites. It was his first number one hit as a solo artist. Uh, The Jackson 5 had a run of hits from 69 to 71, but when they slipped in the charts, Motown really pushed Michael as a solo artist. At the end of 71, he had his first solo hit with Got to Be There, which followed in 72 with a cover of uh, Rock and Robin, which which went to number two, and then later that year, Ben scampered to number one. Oh, nice, scampered. You like that? I like that. You like that? Over the next few years, Jackson was more successful, of course, um, with the Jackson 5, but when he released his album Off the Wall in 79, uh, his solo career, of course, outshined his group, and every Gen Xer knows what album came next. Right. So, um, Jackson was 14, though, when he recorded this song, making him the youngest person to top the Hot 100, both as a solo artist and as a member of a group, the and, Jackson 5. And I got to do our disclaimer, and, and we could disclaim every artist. I mean, we could have done a disclaimer for Morrissey and some of his recent political activities, but... Oh, yeah. Um, for Michael Jackson, we always do because I saw the HBO documentary and it really, really uh, creeped think, me out. So um, we, yeah, we we still play Michael Jackson. Obviously, we're not trying to endorse some of the stuff, but we also don't necessarily cancel. Uh, we go with with the music and not with the artist. So yeah, the ability to separate the music from the man is is very important, especially as we find out more about our our musical heroes throughout right. the years. So right. It's, yeah, Morrissey and Michael Jackson are, are, are two of those <laughs> artists for sure. Yeah, without question. But yeah, if my wife is listening to this episode uh, once it drops, 
Um, I, I do apologize. I know that the song is about a rat, and I used the song for my son. Um, she just has if, to, if it makes it better, just has to live with it, I guess. If it makes it better, I can Photoshop a picture of Ben's picture on a rat and send it to her. Oh, do yeah, I'll do, do that. that. Yeah, that will make her. That, that, that will make all the difference. Good. <laughs> <laughs> all all right. right, your turn. Okay, well. <laughs> You know, long-time listeners of the show know we have our favorites, and we've talked about our three uncles. I don't know, Zabe, if you've listened to any of the back catalog, but the three uncles for us growing up uh, were uh, Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, and Jimmy Buffett. Uh, they uh, gave us so much advice through their, their songs, and which is weird because they were boomers. They were our parents' age, but for whatever reason, we... We really latched on to that music more. I mean, we listened to music of our time, but the, the, the real meaningful stuff, maybe that's a statement on the state of the music from the 80s versus um, those artists. And they, and they were from the 80s, right? Springsteen and Joel, of course, were huge in the 80s. But, you know, the, the singer-songwriter thing, for whatever reason, just really resonated with us. And so I had to choose one of the uncles, and I'm going to go with Bruce Springsteen's No Surrender. a little album there that some people might have heard of called Born in the USA. Uh, this is one of my top five Springsteen songs of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and what's, you top, know... Top three for me. It, yes, yeah, probably for me as well. Uh, finding itself perfectly placed at the top of side B on Born in the USA. Kids have no idea about song sequence anymore, much less song sequence on side A and side B of a record. But it was very, very important. And uh, it, it's just... I love every single second of this song. It's a song about friendship first, but it's also about the unbridled energy of youth and suffering the nostalgia for our youth. So, in the, you know, it's really about somebody looking back at all the great times he had growing up with his friends, and of course, a lot of other things, um, which is typical with Springsteen. But just the line, the opening line: "We busted out of class, had to get away from those fools." which is ironic because we're teachers now. Yep. We learn more from a three-minute record baby than we, we ever learned in school. school. Yep. And, man, that just sets it off. Um, what's crazy, Born in the USA, we've talked about this, Born in the USA was assembled from about 50 to 60 completed tracks that Springsteen had recorded over a couple of years. He whittled down, and by the way, if you haven't picked up tracks by Springsteen, most of those appear on tracks, so you can hear the other songs. Um, but he whittled them down to, to 12 songs. Seven of those songs hit top 10 on Billboard 
this was not one of them. So a strong a song this great, this strong was not even a single. Yep. Which is just it's it's mind boggling. And as much as I love the studio version of the song, um, which, by the way, was only included on the album because of Little Steven's in, in, insistence that it was. Yep. The boss wasn't even going to put it on. The live version of the song is superior. Oh, yeah. Without question. If you pick up the box set, the 1975 <laughs> to 1985, which I believe was the first commercial box set ever, ever produced. I think it was. Dylan had one around that time, too, but it might have been the first. I remember it had like five six lps in them or if you had the cassette version it was three cassettes or three cds and near the end of that there's a live version where it's just bruce it's slowed down as you know the original no surrender is very very fast very high paced it's very slow ballad with just springsteen his acoustic guitar and his harmonica and he begins the song by saying to the audience here's a song about friendship and even, you know, I think we were a little more sentimental than most kids our age, but I remember at the time, so it would have been about 85, 86, just turning all the lights out, putting the, the speakers to my stereo system on either side of my head, laying down and, and trying to pretend like I'm in the audience with all the crowd noise. This is before surround sound, you know, but trying to get that effect. And this song was just, they were all great, but there was just something about this song mm-hmm. that was just such a special experience. And it is. I'm not going to choose a live version because as we've said, with the crowd noise, it's tough making a, a good mixtape without a mixer. But um, yeah, it'll be on the mentioned song playlist. Make sure you check it out. It's transcendent. And I don't use that word very often. Now, Zabe, earlier we were talking, it might have been side A, I don't recall. Um, but we, we were talking about playing the game where we leave songs off because we know that Dave will include them. No, yeah. sur- no Surrender is one of those songs. I didn't need to include it because... It was a guarantee. You, knew. you could have gone with Glory Days, uh, Brothers Under the Bridge, Slender Road. There's so many songs there, there that are, you could choose. But I would have went No Surrender, yeah. and I did not because I knew you'd have it. Back, <laughs> so. back Streets, another oh, yeah. great friendship song. Plenty, plenty. yeah. 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 Checkmate, um, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Dave, you have stepped on the landmine, my friend. Oh, yes. Is there a special sound effect for that? <laughs> I don't. I didn't anticipate <laughs> needing an explosion Yes, okay. Okay, so now it's time for my second quibble that we mentioned on my podcast and throughout these uh, side eight. I knew it was going to be about me. I knew I was the subject of the quibble. Okay. Uh, of course you knew it was about you because <laughs> you, you're, you're the offender here. As a reminder, the first quibble was the omission of Robotech. We've mentioned that. Uh, I'm still a little salty about that, but we, okay. Anyways, uh, however, the second one, I just got to get off my chest. And it is appropriate to plug it in here as we talk about Mr. Bruce Springsteen. The objection I bring is on behalf of all of the Oingo Boingo fans in the world. And I've brought a little audio with me to refresh yours and the listeners' memories here. Take a listen. Oingo Boingo, you actually had one of the best quips of of the season when you said Oingo Boingo is the band that's more fun to say than, than it is to listen to. How dare you, sir, to say Oingo Boingo is a band more fun to say than to listen to. Okay, but how's that related to Springsteen? I'll get that. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) No one's ever called us back before. That was pretty cool. That was... I'm, that was a can. That was eerie. Yeah. yeah okay. anyway, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 not an easy thing to he be faced with ready. your shame. He, he yeah. Had, it's like yeah. shoved right in your face. <laughs> I was and am and continue to be outraged. Now, everyone is entitled to their opinions, even when their opinions are wrong. But I have to stick up for Danny Elfman and the rest of the band here and advocate 
for one of my all-time favorite bands. To be fair, you both went on in that episode to point out that you felt Oingo Boingo was a legit band, and I don't think you meant any disrespect to them, just to be clear here. But I bring this up now as we discuss Bruce Springsteen, because I, I think I figured something out about how these two artists are connected in a real roundabout way. Wow, okay. Got to hear this. So, okay, so, and, and, I, and I picked to come after one of the three uncles here because I knew it hurt the most. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's, here's the thing about Bruce Springsteen, okay? And, and I may be totally off on this, and it may be just within the bubble of Southern California, but Bruce Springsteen, growing up, was not a thing in my childhood, in my friend group. I did not know a single person that was a Bruce Springsteen fan growing up. Even with the release of Born in the USA? Not even one. No. And I asked my wife about this last night. Like, were you into Bruce Springsteen? She goes, no. Like, why would I be? Like, as if it was like, a, she, she said, what? He only had like one or two songs, right? What? Like, what? Right. I know it. <laughs> I know you guys would feel that way. But it, in my... <laughs> In my circle growing up, Bruce Springsteen was thought of as like a one-hit wonder. Now. What you talking about, Willis? See, I put my own sound effect in there. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> but Oingo Boingo here on the, on the East Coast has been viewed as, you know, regulated to only a dead man's party and a weird science, like a one or two-hit wonder as well. But in Southern California... Everyone I knew loved Oingo Boingo. It was a total thing. So I think there's some sort of like East Coast, West Coast thing about these two groups that, I mean, maybe they're both really big in St. Louis or something. But like, if you're from the East Coast, like you guys, you guys love and revere Bruce Springsteen as well as you should. Like, of course, later on as I grew up and it broadened my horizons, you know, we, we, we've learned why they call him the boss. But growing up, you, you knew why uh, uh, Michael Jackson was called the king of pop or, you know, even Elvis was the king. Like, they've earned those nicknames. But growing up, I'm like, well, why is Bruce Springsteen called the boss? Like, what has this guy ever done? He's got like one song, you know. So I just found that really interesting. And I, and I wonder if you guys have ever run across that well, I, uh, in your lives of, of people from the West Coast not revering Bruce Springsteen as much as he deserves to be uh, uh, from the, the different coasts. I, I think a, maybe a, a fairer comparison might be the Michael Stanley Band, because Michael Stanley Band is from Cleveland. And so in the Midwest, um, you know, he's, he's pretty big, or at least he was. Yeah, he was huge. And I, uh, people, Never heard of him. People from other states know the song <laughs> like, um, uh, He Don't Love You Like I Love You. You know that song. Uh, or our, my, my, this town. Okay. Anyway, he, he had a couple top 40 hits, but he was a, a regional thing. So I could see for Michael Stanley band, but maybe it's because like my, my, my dad listened to the boss and maybe because and I will say it wasn't like I was a fan. I can't claim to be a fan at my age before born in the USA, but born in the USA was the gateway. And then when the box set came out, I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's got this huge backlog of songs. So then I went and bought the early albums and that's when, you know, I became a fanatic. But it's just strange to me that even if you didn't like Springsteen, that, that even people our age back in the 80s wouldn't understand that he's on par with 
bands like, I'm not saying better than, but on par with bands like The Beatles, bands like The Rolling Stones, but in the 70s. It, it, it shocks me. That yeah, he's definitely regarded as one of those one of those mega hit guys, right. you know, like But you guys uh, thought he was a catalog and it's weird. Yeah. Like I mean, his record sales and wealth alone point to his popularity, right? I mean, there's no debating that. But in you know, my little bubble in Southern California growing up, not a thing, not even a little bit. And uh, I I just find that really interesting that someone as huge as him could be not you know, an afterthought. I thought of it as a one-hit wonder. And it, it's interesting, too, because uh, I probably talked about this in the podcast. In the, on the coast, both east and west, alternative music was a lot more popular than, than in the Midwest. Like This is before the internet, right? Now, MTV started to break that down a little bit, and we started to see some of these alternative bands. But, like, I discovered the Smiths, and I was the only one in my middle school, I think, that listened to the Smiths. And then I found out later that people, you know, people in college that came from the east coast or the west coast Oh, yeah, all their friends listened to The Smiths and The Cure, and I'm just like, what? So that was our bubble. You know, yeah. it wasn't until much later. Uh, we didn't really have a college radio station close until, we, you know, we got to college. And so, yeah, there are those bubbles. I can see that. But it, it's just hard for me to, to, to think that Bruce Springsteen would have been impervious to that bubble out there. And, you know, yeah. that, that was true of a, lot of a lot of alternative. Because you used to name bands that I you loved that I, I had never heard of. You know, it just wasn't... Um, there was no no airplay for them. There was right. nowhere to to hear these bands. Right. Even REM. I mean, REM it wasn't until the one I love. Until it, they the one I love over. is when it, they crossed over, and right. then of course you. Cure was just like heaven. Yeah. Um, Smiths never crossed over. No, no, not not here in the U.S. But but it, it just yeah no that I'm I'm just as blown away as Dave. I can't believe that Springsteen was. Unknown. I mean, that was Springsteen, the, the song catalog was our Bible. I mean, that was Joel and Springsteen. I mean, that was, I mean, those were words to live by. I can't imagine growing up without that. I, yeah. do, I do apologize that Oingo Boingo was a band more fun to say than, than to to. <laughs> Dave said it, not me. I still stand by that. And by the way, I'll say that uh, Danny Elfman is incredible. Danny especially with, yeah. with all his cinematic uh, compositions and so forth. Uh, but I will stand by, as much as I love alternative music and I like New Wave, uh, I never got into Oingo Boingo like a lot of the other New Wave artists. They just never quite did it for me. I, they just weren't on my radar. Yeah. I mean, but I, even today, I'm like, I, I, yeah. I'm just not that interested. Well, and that's the thing. I revere revere Danny Elfman. I mean, as a composer yeah. uh, in the cinematic world, only John Williams, I think, really... He, John Agreed. Williams is the only one that I would place sure. higher. Sure, Um Because Elfman, I mean, especially his work with, with Tim Burton, right. back when Tim Burton was a consistent, right. you know. Um, yeah, Danny Elfman, I, I love, love what he does, but Oingo Boingo... You you named the two songs that here in yeah. Ohio we knew. <laughs> I remember Weird Science came out. It like was on the top forty for a couple of weeks, right. and I'm like, yeah. And Dead Man's yeah. Party, people would pull it out at Halloween time. Yeah, and that that was that was all I knew yeah. of Wingle Boy. Yeah, wow. So, well, you I'm, guys remember Only a Lad? That wasn't a thing for no, you guys. That was no, 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 no. Yeah. Sorry, man. In private life. No, okay. That's crazy. Yeah, I, huh. I I just think it's uh you know we think of music as being so universal, like they, they say in the universal language, but like, I think it geography and exposure really, really makes a big difference. I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, 
I, I feel better now. If that's if that's your biggest gripe. <laughs> that's my that's my big gripe. Yeah. <laughs> and and like you said, we went on. We didn't disparage them. No, no, no. It, not it, at it all. was more I, of a I fun quip to... because they're fun. Their name is fun to say. It really They're is. They're super fun to say. Yeah. But speaking of names, I got one little one little fun fact here. Uh, <clears throat> the script for the 1985 film No Retreat, No Surrender, starring a young Jean-Claude Van Damme, was originally titled Ring of Truth. But screen, screenwriter Keith Strandberg changed the title to No Retreat, No Surrender after he heard the Bruce Springsteen song No Surrender. Hmm. When, yeah. So when I first when I first when I first heard the song, which was uh, as I was preparing for oh my this God. episode. Oh, that hurts. Wow. <laughs> I was listening to the lyrics and I thought, no retreat, no surrender. Dude, the boss ripped off those lyrics from a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs> no. What a fraud. No, you know, no, it was the first no. thing that popped into my head. <laughs> but Cooler has prevailed after a quick uh, Google search and realized that uh, there was a, the boss is, is the... Uh, the origin, the, the the keeper of those lyrics. Do you like the song? Yeah, actually, I do. Well, listen to the live <laughs> version. Listen, make sure you, you take time to listen to that because yeah, the live I, versions. Yeah, really Bruce Springsteen. I mean, and I don't mean to come off saying that I think Bruce Springsteen's a hack or like bad or anything. Like he is the boss. You know, he he's earned his place in the music world. And this song, this song's legit. I'm I'm actually interested in learning more Bruce Springsteen songs. Because it seems like every time I, I listen to one, I realize, hey, how come I've never heard this song before? This song's legit. Well, what's interesting is so many people from our generation that aren't Springsteen fans, they understand that, you know, he has this place in the classic rock pantheon. But but they do kind of dismiss him as this kind of just pop rock artist. And I remember in um, uh, English class, we had to do our senior term papers, and I wrote mine on Springsteen. And um, I won't mention his name, but we all know who I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Sat in front of me, and he was he's a music snob. <laughs> Um, which I'm a music snob too, but he was a jazz music snob, which is the worst kind. <laughs> and, and, and I like him a lot. I like him a lot. But I remember we had to switch papers and read each other's work. And he kind of looked down and wrinkled his nose and said, oh, Bruce Springsteen. And he finished. And he, I will say he, he came back and he apologized. He said, I had no idea that he, you know, and so he went back and listened to the back catalog. And I'm not saying he's a Springsteen fan now, but he at least understood that there was kind of a, a, a block in his music knowledge and that Springsteen's a lot more than Born in the USA, which, by the way, Born in the USA may be my least favorite Springsteen song <laughs> ever yeah. recorded. And so he is kind of like that. And what I find really encouraging is you know, a lot of the new alternative bands that have been coming out in the last you know, 10, 15 years, uh, Airborne Toxic Event, Gaslight Anthem, there's a whole host of them, um, were huge Springsteen fans growing up. And, and Springsteen even said at one point in his career, he, he wanted to be a punk artist, but it was kind of too late because he'd established himself as this rock artist. And so he started doing different things like stripping down, like Darkness on the Edge of Town is this punk album, even though it's not punk, but it's really, really stripped down. It's a really, really serious record. And so it, 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 I, I like the fact that another generation discovered him and some of the music that, that people are listening to now, have, they have no idea that it's directly inspired by Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got us off on a tangent there, didn't you? Sorry, man. <laughs> it's like half the episode is, is talking about this song. It's all good, man. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't. I, yeah, okay. I was I was thinking far worse. I was thinking. Uh, that, yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know what yeah, was coming. So. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, well, I, I still await your apology about it, but that's well, okay. I, I'm sorry if I if I somehow <laughs> offended one of your favorite bands of all time. And in a poor attempt to try to rectify that, I will take time this week to listen to Oingo Boingo. But what you need to do is email me a list as if it were a mixtape. Oh. 
Because that was the thing back then, right? You try to get your friends into music, so you'd make them a mixtape to try to oh, convince yeah. them. So you had to at least you can make a Spotify playlist, or just send me the songs, and I'll find them, and I will listen to them, and I'll give them a shot. All right, my work here is done. And on top of that, <laughs> you got to tell me where I can find Robo Tuck or whatever that is, and I'll watch an episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I, I don't know. That, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> when you send it to Dave, I will listen as well because I, I I know nothing about Oingo Boingo. Nothing. So it's good. I'm, There's I'm, some good stuff in there. I'm curious. Good. Good. I'll, good. I'll give them a listen. Most definitely. All right. I think you're up. You are. Yeah. So the next song kind of falls along similar lines to the social distortion song. Uh, Don't take Feel me for granted that we uh, featured inside a, uh, it's a song about loss, longing, regret, and the sadder parts of friendship. It's a song by the English rock band Pink Floyd. And it is of course, wish you were here. think you could tell heaven from hell blue skies from pain can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail a smile from a veil do you think you can tell they get you to train your heroes for ghosts, hot ashes for trees, hot air for a cool breeze, cold comfort for change. Did you exchange a walk on part in the wall for a leaf? Wish You Were Here was released as the title track to their 1975 album of the same name. David Gilmore and Roger Waters collaborated to write the music and the words, and Gilmore sang the lead vocals. The lyrics for Wish You Were Here surrounds the, the sentiments of separation of Roger Waters from different people once close to him. He is uh, sketching specific motivations from his former colleague, Sid Barrett, and childhood friend. The father of Pink Floyd, who withdrew from the group because of the cognitive condition of his mind. That was a very nice way to put that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so, too. Sid was considered the creative one behind the early Pink Floyd material. The song Shine On You Crazy Diamond is also a a tribute to him. And the wall is often referred to by some as his biography. There is a famous story about Sid Barrett attending a recording session of Shine On You Crazy Diamond after he was excused from the band. When he arrived, none of his friends recognized him because of his appearance to change so drastically. He gained a bunch of weight, he had no hair or eyebrows, and he looked ill. Roger Waters thought that he was a crew member, when it, but when it dawned on him that it was his childhood friend and he saw the state that he was in, uh, Waters burst into tears. Gilmore said in a 2012 documentary uh, called Pink Floyd, The Story of Wish You Were Here, uh, I, I can't sing it without thinking of Sid. Even the album cover says a thousand words about friendship. If you've seen it, I, I'm sure you've all seen it before. It's a picture of two men greeting each other with a handshake, but one of them is on fire. And that's, the, that's kind of how it feels when you see your friend's life spiraling out of control and you're powerless to, to help them. Sometimes our loved ones don't have to die to be gone. 
And this song certainly reminds us of that. And you answered a question for me, and that's why does, why does Bob Geldof shave off his eyebrows in the movie The Wall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a reference to Sid Barrett. Yeah, no, th- th- this, is, this is a great song that it's one of those that when people are learning guitar, it's one of the first ones that you can learn that's not too yeah. difficult to play, but sounds really cool at parties. Um, and it's, it, it's interesting it's because... One of the, it's one of the three songs I can play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, see, I was right. And growing up, like I, I'd heard it on classic rock radio, um, but it wasn't until I got into Pink Floyd in probably high school and got the entire record, wished you were here. Of course, you know, Pink Floyd, you got to listen to... You know, top to bottom, and yeah. when I when I heard where it fit into the rest of of, of the all seventeen parts of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, um, <laughs> it's a nice little pop reprieve, I should say, because it really is a nice little pop melody. It is, which uh, Pink Floyd, especially as as they as they moved on, they, they got a little bit more melodic. But it is yeah, it is it is a great great song. I'm glad you included that. Yeah, uh, there's a fun fact that goes with this uh, in the introduction of the song. David Gilmore can be heard coughing, followed by some breathing right before the main guitar riff, mm-hmm. if, you, yep. if you're familiar with that. Legend has it that he could not hold in the cough when recording due to his heavy smoking at the time. When he heard the final take, he was so disappointed in himself, he quit smoking cold turkey the following day. That's Interesting. the legend. Oh. Yeah. Man, never heard that. Yeah, because there's a little audio clip of like a, a television show or a cartoon or something. Yeah, and, and then they the, love their multimedia layering right. of, of stuff. Yeah. All right, my turn. Um, okay, so my next song. Uh, most know it as the theme song to the NBC sitcom Cheers. Oh, another TV. Another, yes, so. another one. Uh, launching in 1982, the 11-year-long sitcom shared the loves and, and laughs of Boston natives who, from all walks of life, banded together to spend time at their favorite bar. Uh, the theme song, titled Where Everybody Knows Your Name, has truly stood the test of time. I mean, when when I hear those first piano notes, my brain still conjures up the iconic title sequence with a sing-along despite myself not far behind. Despite Applebee's ruining it for everybody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Judy Hart Angelo, who had never written a song, they were working on a musical in New York when they were approached with the opportunity to pitch the Cheers theme song. Uh, Their first attempt focused on bartender Sam, actually. The pair got to work on the track with the the lyrics paying particular focus on the much-loved womanizing bartender played by Ted Danson. Um, the, uh, the, The original lyrics went, singing the blues when the Red Sox lose, it's a crisis in your life, 
on the run because all your girlfriends want to be your wife. Okay, it was actually a very, <laughs> very, very different song. Yeah. Um, the Charles Brothers said that they really loved the song, but they asked that the two please make the lyrics more universal in nature. So the songwriters went back to work and decided on the opening line, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got, and the rest of the song immediately fell into place. And, and so the fan-favorite theme song was, was born. Um, the sitcom only uses the first verse, uh, but there is a second, and the woes detailed in that second verse are comedic gold. They, they just are. So if you've never heard this song played through um, in its entirety, um, I'm hoping you really enjoy listening. It's kind of funny because I came real close and then I stopped myself, but I came real close to using the theme from Friends. Because <laughs> thank, you, thank, you for, thank you for not doing yeah, that. I, well, and, but in my mind... It took me thinking, 10 years to get that out of my head. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I think but, we're all on the same page on that one. Yeah, <laughs> but, but in my mind, I'm thinking we're doing a friendship, you know. And then I, I was, I just... I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And really, cheers, that idea of the iconic bar where you walk in and everyone is just so happy to see you and your family. It's a safe place. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a safe place, exactly. To me, there's there's no better song choice uh, that, that I could you know include on, the, on this this particular mixtape. So No, it's a, it's a good one. It really is. Yeah, if you're uh, picking between those two songs, you went the right way, Alan. Oh, I know. I know I did. My, my, my wife did not agree. She thought that, um, you know, I'll be there for you should definitely have made my list. We, we had a long conversation about that. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, where everybody knows your name. It's, it's just, to me, that is so iconic. And it's so, oh, yeah. it's, just, it's just friendship at its simplest, you know. So, there you go. Great choice. Great choice. Alan, you know, uh, I'm not the biggest Rolling Stones fan in the world. Um, I'm a Beatles guy, and as Tarantino famously said, no, no, he was Elvis and Beatles. Elvis but and the, Beatles. the same could be said, I think, for the Beatles and Rolling Stones. Right? You can like them both, but you're you're really obsessed with one and, and not both. And, and I think that's true. I don't think I've met anyone that's an equal Beatles and Rolling Stones fan. And I think more people are Beatles fans. And I don't want to disparage the Rolling Stones because I think they're great. Well, the Stones are blues. Yeah, I mean, they're, and they're more they're blues, blues based. Band. Yeah, and uh, definitely, obviously, the Rolling Stones were one of the top 25 you know acts especially you know during the 60s more higher than that in the 60s but even overall um but you know i have i have a couple greatest hits collaborations i have a few albums here and there in tattoo um you was one of them that i had and i I think i bonded because of this song really yeah it's one of the earliest music videos that was played on mtv and i think they played it on i think solid gold might have started playing videos at the end or something i just remember (laughs) i don't know i just remember seeing this video and you talked about last week you know poorly produced with you know jesse's girl was was well produced um the production values on this great i think it was like a home video camera but um, if you remember, do you guys remember the video? Oh, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's, it's filmed in Manhattan in, in front of the same building that's on the cover for Physical Graffiti. Yeah. Um, and Mick's sitting there, and he's starting to sing on the steps, and then Keith walks up, and then they kind of walk and talk until they get to the bar, and Ronnie Wood's there, and they all, you know, it's just about friendship. Dave, did you say the name of the song? Thank you. I probably didn't. So the song is <laughs> Waiting on a Friend. See, I always do that. Waiting on a Friend by the Rolling Stones from the album Tattoo You.
the song was actually started early in 1973, so almost a decade before um, they recorded it. And and they had the, the basics of the song, but they just couldn't come up with lyrics, and so they kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And uh, Mick actually had this idea of the video. Usually the video is inspired by the song. But in this case, he had the idea of a video where he would run into friends on a New York street and thought that would be a cool video. So he wrote the lyrics to match the video that he wanted to see. What I love about aging rockers, and Bruce Springsteen would be a perfect example of this, is that they allow themselves, obviously through their words and their music, um, you can see the aging take place. Bruce Springsteen does not write about fast cars and the boardwalk anymore. Right? He talks about parenthood, and he talks about politics, and he talks about his place in the world. And so for, for Mick and, and the band that talked a lot about partying and, and drugs in the 60s, this is a really introspective song uh, for him. And it, you know, it's about aging. It's about being that more, more mature man that understands the value of friendship. It takes an older man to look back to understand, because you've had those friendships and how those friendships have been there for you, how important that really is and how you really shouldn't take that for granted as, as Abe was talking about last week. And it's just such a, the song has a dreamy quality. It's got those mellow guitars. It's got that saxophone solo at the end by Sonny Collins. Hit number 13 actually on Billboard. I didn't even know if it was a single. I just remember I loved the song when I was on MTV. I bought the CD later on and it's probably my favorite Rolling Stones song. Really? Your yeah. favorite? Yeah. I, I don't hate the song. But I've never, <laughs> I've never. Um, F you, man. <laughs> I no, don't get me wrong. I for I'm if we're if we're going with the dichotomy, I'm a Beatles fan over the Stones. But my dad was a huge Stones fan. Oh, so you heard it from him. And my dad hated the Beatles. There you I, go. There's ne- my theory. Never understood it. <laughs> I will take the Beatles over the Stones any day. But I I do love the Stones. Waiting on a Friend is probably one of my least favorite songs by the band. Really? It's just, it, it's there's something about Jagger's voice on this song. It just sounds only dancing in the streets with David Bowie. That is the only. That is the only. That's Jag- abomination. Yes, that is, that is the only Jagger song that I would say is lower than Waiting on a Friend. Really? I, I just there's something about Ouch. this song. It just sounds. It comes on and I I turn the station. Wow! I, I just I don't know what it is. I love the sentiment. I mean, lyrically, I I think it's a beautiful song. I just can't listen to it. <laughs> I just I can't. You know, I want sympathy for the devil. I want. I want uh, you can't always. You know. Well, I mean, you can't it, always. I got to be careful when I say. Obviously, those those giants, those songs are great songs. Right. You know, yeah. Maybe when I say it's my favorite Stone song, maybe I mean not the favorite song that wasn't a big hit. If that clarifies it a little okay, bit. Okay. Yeah. Because Jumpin' Jack Flash and Satisfaction, all those obviously are, are better songs. Uncharted. Yeah, it's an Uncharted kind of thing, even though it did end up going to 13. But it's not one that most people think about. <laughs> uncharted, although Uncharted. Yeah. It's not one that people think <laughs> about. when you If you ask the average person to name 10 Rolling Stone songs, chances are they're not going to name this song. And it's I, my favorite of those songs. Okay, and I would say there's a reason why they would. Okay, Zayd, your turn. <laughs> Weigh in on this one, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Alan, uh, as far as... I'm, I'm much more of a Beatles than a Stones guy. I, I'm not super familiar with this song, to be honest with you. Um, so I, and I think there's a reason why. Um, certainly not one of the ones that jumps to mind when you think of Rolling Stones. But any song that's about friendship tugs at my heart because that's, that's like a... I, I, when I was offered to pick the theme for this uh, episode, and uh, I believe it was Alan who said... Hey, uh, you, know, you gave me a list of things to pick from, and friendship was on it. It just jumped right off the list to me. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about friendship. 
and so any song about friendships is 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 going to be one I'm going to find something out of. So I can draw goodness from this song and still enjoy it. But you know, it, not not one of my favorites. But you, okay, so you know that you know the feeling when you haven't seen a friend in a long time, and you meet up for a beer or whatever. You invite them over and have dinner, and you're just kind of excited for that anticipation because you yeah. know it's going to be an interaction that you don't have to work at. You don't have to be anyone but yourself. And you're just excited about spending time with that person. To me, that this song encapsulates that feeling perfectly. I'm with you, Dave. Cool. I'm with you. I, I, see I agree. It. I, see it. I, I, well, I said I don't hate the song. Oh, no, you pretty much said you hate this song. <laughs> you said you hate it without saying you hate it. <laughs> you were politically correct, and I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, no I, I do. I love the Stones. I just, there's something, I think it's... You have that obligatory 80s saxophone. You have, but it was used well <laughs> from a great jazz saxophonist. It wasn't some cheesy Kenny G. It wasn't Sorry, Kenny G. It was not Kenny G. Okay, <laughs> thank God for that. But but I just I don't know. There's just it, it. I get what you're saying, but like when I think of the anticipation and the excitement of reuniting with an old friend, this song almost puts me to sleep it is just so it's a vibe it's 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 like the video it's sitting on steps on a nice summer afternoon people are walking by you might even sit there for 10 minutes and not say a word because you don't have to because you're friends yeah. so you're just sitting there maybe having a, a beer that's now turning warm as, as the summer sun begins to set it's it's comfort that's what that song is i will say this that you've schooled me because i always interpreted this song differently Really? When he says, I'm not waiting on a lady, yeah. I'm just waiting on a friend, I thought he was, I always interpreted the song as he was looking for a relationship with with a woman, but it was the friendship, the camaraderie, the companionship mm. that he wanted over the romance. No, I think you're reading too much into it. It's it just, he he's realizing that women, not in the sense of a soulmate, okay, but just like women in general, in the party sense, I think there's even a line about that, about women and, and party and drug, whatever, that stuff used to be really important to him, and that's what he got up in the morning to experience. Okay. And now that he's older, those things don't matter nearly as much as the value of having a friend to talk to. Gotcha. All right. All right, I'm done with my defensive <laughs> explanation. <laughs> I like it better than uh, Sufjan Stevens. So. Oh, come on. Don't bring up <laughs> Sushan. That's a whole other episode. All right, it's Dave. It's me now, right? It is You're you. Up. Okay, my next pick is a song that carries with it a message that just because we have differences doesn't mean we still can't be friends. And it's a song by Arrested Development. No, not the Jason Bateman sitcom, but the band from the early 90s and it's a song that's called Mr. Wendell. Serve God only, know that if you do, beautiful heaven awaits. Esther pulled my rope for the first time. I saw a man with no clothes, no money, no plate, Mr. Wendell. That's his name, no one ever knew his name, cause he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had the chance to really get to know one. Now that I know him, to give him money isn't charity. He gives me some knowledge, I buy him some shoes. And to think blacks spend all their money on big colleges, still most of y'all come out confused. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. 
The song was written about the plight of the homeless and encourages people to not ignore them just because of their status or how they look, but instead to learn from their non-materialistic lifestyles. The song is not based on a person named Mr. Wendell at all, but is based on some experiences that the frontman of the band, who goes by the name of Speech, he had in Atlanta where he lived, and he sung to uh, the homeless people that he had became friends with. So it's kind of a a true life story in a way, in a roundabout sort of way. He said some of them were more like hobos where they purposefully were wanting to be homeless, but that they didn't want to pay play by the society. They didn't want to play the way society was going, and they just decided to go off into their own beaten path. Others were hungry and had a run of bad luck and just couldn't survive with the competition of the real world. So they were just kind of out there. There was one person specifically that represented the character of Mr. Wendell to speech, but sadly he died the year that the song came out, so he never got to hear the song that was a tribute to him. The group gave half of the proceeds for the song to the National Coalition for the Homeless in the United States because of how closely they all felt uh, to the cause of homelessness and the fact that everybody, whether they're homeless or not, there's sometimes in all of our lives when we just need a little bit of help and we can all use a friend. Nice, yeah. Very nicely said. Good, good, good pick. Uh, make make the mix a little bit harder to uh, <laughs> to sequence. <laughs> a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, it's a great choice. But I love the challenge. Yes, yes. Yeah, I um I I wasn't a big fan, um, but I respect um, the, the band a whole lot. I know um, they still have a, a a pretty pretty big following. Uh, were you a, a fan, or you just like the song? I, you know, that was kind of just the, the one-off for me. Okay. I mean, I think they had that in Tennessee, right? That was the other yeah, that uh, right. kind of hit song that they had. They um, I like them both. Yeah. You know, it's not my genre of mm-hmm. music that I, I really uh, engage with a whole lot. You know, like I said before, I'm, I'm Smith's Cure, Depeche Mode. I'm that uh, new wave style uh, and alternative music. That's, uh, that's kind of my, where, where I live. And this one kind of lives outside that. But... <clears throat> Just because something's not your particular genre doesn't mean there's not good music out there. If it's good, it's good. Yes, That's exactly. What I, what I well said. Say. Absolutely. Well said. Yep. Okay, well, my next pick, I almost changed it last night. Why? Because you didn't want two uncles on the broadcast? No, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to swap it with another song by the uncle. Um, one that I had not even thought of until last night. I was going to actually swap it with James. Oh, I came really close. I would have night. actually picked that had I thought yeah. of it. I, I was going to swap it with James. Wow! And I wanted to, but it was literally this came to me at like after midnight, and I wasn't going to throw the two of you. Yeah, in, into very that. deep track off of uh, Turnstiles for those of you that don't know. Nineteen seventy-six. Yeah. I did. I almost went with James, but I want to make sure it's on the mentioned songs list. Yeah, at, at like almost one a.m. That has the electric piano. Yeah, yeah. At, at one a.m., it, it, it was almost my number seven song. This is one of the uncles. This is Billy Joel, of course. Uh, the song that I did choose initially, and I don't regret choosing it. No, no, it's no, it's, uh, it's definitely belongs yeah, here. Yeah, do not regret it at all. Uh, from the 1989 album Stormfront, I've chosen Leningrad.
Billy Joel's Leningrad, it's a postcard, really, of his time and his tour in Russia in 87. Uh, in some ways, it's also a Russian counterpart to his 1982 song, Allentown. Um, musically, the songs are nothing alike, but thematically, they're very similar, uh, tracing the lives of, of ordinary people during the Cold War years, as embodied by the character of Victor in Leningrad. Victor is actually Victor Razanov. Uh, he was a Russian circus clown who became a close friend with Billy Joel during his Russian tour. Uh, Joel musically contrasted the story of Victor, the Russian, with himself, the American, by putting Victor's story in major keys and his own story in minor keys on the song. Uh, it's an interesting juxtaposition because the Russian modality is usually a minor modality, and Joel purposely reversed that. Um, Joel had an obvious affection for the people he met in Russia. Uh, he learned very quick, quickly that the enemy, I say that in quotes, was actually not much different than us, right? Leningrad is one of the best songs on Stormfront, without question. But it is, I think, often overlooked. I mean, no one talks about this song. Was it even a single? No, okay. it was never a single. Um, Billy Joel fans and favorable critics, because there are a lot of critics that are not favorable to Billy Joel, <laughs> um, everyone overlooks this song. And, you know, it, it, it is political, but it's from a very personal point of view. You know what do they keep on fighting for? I mean, it's. A I don't think it's controversial political. No, 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 no. Political it's, though, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's political, but most people would be on board with oh, this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I didn't mean to suggest there was right, anything controversial right. about it. I'm just saying it's you know it, it's it's a realm that Billy Joel has infrequently gone to. He's always been very uncomfortable. He has Allentown. He has Goodnight Saigon, of course. He has um, Down Easter Alexa. He has Leningrad. But he feels very uncomfortable from what I've heard and read in interviews. He doesn't like to put himself out there sure, politically. Sure. Um, but, you know, Joel was backed on this song by the students from his alma mater, which I thought was kind of cool, the Hicksville High School Choir. Uh, he needed a choral group on the symphonic section of the song, but he didn't want highly trained operatic voices. So he called on his high school choir director, uh, whose name is Chuck Arnold. Arnold, Billy Joel has said, was the only teacher who ever encouraged him to go into music. Everyone else told him that he was a dreamer, he needed to get a real job. According to Joel, Arnold was a beatnik teacher who told him, you should, be, you should be a musician, you've got a great ear, you should keep writing songs. So calling on Arnold for help with Leningrad, um, Billy Joel said was his way of paying him back. During his concerts and press conferences in Russia, Joel was accompanied by translator Oleg Smirnov and Victor, who came to each concert on the tour. The trip had a profound effect on Billy, uh, his group, and, and, the, and the Russian people. In 2015, I didn't know this, Oleg Smirnov and Viktor Razanov were reunited with Billy Joel at a concert at Madison Square Garden 
It was uh, October 29th, 2015. They traveled from Russia to, to see him perform. He performed the song that night, of course. Um, it's just a beautiful song. You know, I, to me, th that sentiment where you finally throw yourself out there, you, you walk into the lion's den and you find out that it's actually a safe space, that this person is no different than you. Well, because the Russian people, right? It's right. just like today, you know, with, yeah. with going to Ukraine. The Russian people... Did, do not represent, or the government does not represent the people. Exactly. Yeah, I, and I could, I, I thought about drawing that parallel myself because all of the, um, you know, all, all of the sanctions that are being thrown against Russia because of the war in Ukraine, it's only hurting the Russian people. It is. It you is. Know, it is. And there, now there, there are those that support the war, but they're also being fed. Sure, propaganda. Propaganda, also, yeah. and, and, you know, that they're not being told the truth by, you know, they're, they're, political leaders um nonetheless yeah i went i stuck with leningrad but i came really 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 close to changing to, to james to james yeah I, I think that's you know most people wouldn't say leningrad is joel's greatest lyrical effort and joel isn't even really known for his lyrics other than he's got a you know a few moments here or there where he pulls off a pretty cool phrase but i think it's it's a masterful uh lyric in that song the way he he tells the story it's not too sentimental, but it is sentimental. Um, he has some really nice imagery there about like the Cold War and you know hiding under your desks while you know what's the one blast those yellow reds to hell. And yeah. he's got some nice phrasing in that too. So you're right. I think it's a really uh, underrated song from Joel. Yep. Yeah. What do you think, Zabe? Well, you mentioned how it's a song how people tearing down walls of the Cold War and. Uh, people changing their attitudes towards one another from east and east and west, the Soviet Union, United States. But I learned that lesson from watching Rocky Four myself, not the song <laughs> yeah. where Rocky says, uh, "This fight was due to lots of changes. If I could change, you could change. Everybody could change." Wow, that that's, was spot on. That, that was actually, yeah, that, nice. was, that was kind of scary. That was like perfect. <laughs> that was on the nose. <laughs> no, that was great. I remember, I thought, did we, did we go see that movie together, McKinley? We might have. I think so. Or was that the movie I went with uh, the date and you threw goobers at us from the back row? No, that, that, that was a uh, mortal thought. So oh, that was the that, Demi Moore, Bruce Willis movie. Which was the first date for my now wife. Which, so, which yeah. totally... Thro throwing goobers was time well spent because the movie was awful. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, my, and the whole time, my date, now my wife, right, she's like, um, what's going on? I said, it's just my friends. Just ignore them. But yeah, <laughs> I made the mistake of telling them I was going on the date. And then I made the mistake of telling them what movie and what theater and what time. That was on me. It was. It was <laughs> just that you wanted that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It really was. <laughs> so. All right. Well, is it up to me? It it's up, up to, to me now. So yes. uh, my next tune, not not to get too heavy, but you know, Zabe already went there, so we can go heavy here again. <laughs> um, this one's "Brothers in Arms" by Dire Straits. These mist-covered mountains are all now for me, but my home is the And you'll no longer burn 
through these fields of destruction Baptisms of fire I've witnessed your suffering As the battle reached high And From 1985, from their album Brothers in Arms, which Great was their, their big breakthrough, at least in America. Uh, I mean, prior to this, they had Sultans of Swing, which was kind of a staple in classic rock radio. But when Money for Nothing hit, which was the lead single off of this record, and of course the video with the very primitive computer animation, um, it was huge. And then they had Walk of Life, and then they had another single. What was the other one? I'm, I'm forgetting. I like three, maybe it was the only two. This one was not as much of a hit. This is one, in fact, I don't know if it was released as a single, but it was always my favorite song on the record. And I always wrongly assumed it was about Vietnam because that was during the time in the 80s when it seemed like every artist was doing their Vietnam song. Huey Lewis had Walking on the Thin Line. Of course, Billy Joel had Good Night Saigon. There was um, 19 by Paul Hardcastle. Um, I love that song. Yeah, I haven't heard, yeah, 19, I haven't heard that I haven't in a long heard time. 19 in forever. So I just assumed it was about Vietnam. It's actually about the uh, British involvement in the Falkland uh, War in 1982. But, you know, being good songwriters, you can apply this song to um, lots of military conflict. Singles from Brothers in Arms. So, <laughs> so Far Away. Money. So Far Away was the first, actually. Oh, yeah, not, So not Far money Away. For nothing. Money for Nothing, Brothers in Arms, and Walk of Life. Okay, so it was a single. Interesting. It just didn't yeah. do very well. And I can see how that, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty heavy song. It hits. No, it did not chart yeah, in the I U.S. Yeah, I think so. No. But, you know, I wanted to include this song because, again, we were talking about hitting songs from different angles about friendship, okay? And I, I just wanted to include an ode to friendship of veterans who have a bond that I, as one who did not serve, uh, would be impossible to truly understand, right? I can understand it on a conceptual level. I can understand it through liked songs, like I mentioned, Good Night Saigon, right? Um, and I could have gone with Good Night Saigon. I thought about it. But this one's just a little bit darker and a little bit sharper than Joel's. Joel's is good, you know, it's very good. Um, but this one with, with Knopfler's guitar and it's just the mood. Um, yeah, there's just something about this song. And maybe I've heard Good Night Saigon too many times. But I, I decided to go with this one. Um, Can I take a moment just to yeah. credit Knopfler's guitar playing? Go ahead. He is, I, th I think he's one of the greatest guitarists in rock. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, I never hear his name mentioned when people cite the greats. I, 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 he's just never included, and I don't know why. Because what he does... people are lame. What he does, though, is <laughs> it, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I and mean, he, is, he is, I would say, one of the top... 10 guitarists in, in rock music and in, in popular music. Right. So. Well, and if you just listen to the, to the guitar solo that ends this song, yeah, uh, it's just haunting. The whole thing is haunting. It, the lyric is haunting. It's understated. It's subtle. Um, but the lyrics are universal, too. You could apply this to Vietnam. You could apply it to World War II. You could apply it to any type of military conflict. 
Um, but it's just that, that, that foxhole bond that, I mean, I know you didn't, sir. Did, I don't know if you served Zave or not. No. I so, not. so none of us can truly understand not only serving, because there's a certain level to that, but then actually see combat um, with, with, with uh, you know, people that people from all over the country that's pulled together for this one purpose, and that is to basically sacrifice your life um, for our freedoms, which that's the idea. Not that it's always about that, but we're not going to go down that that lane right now. And I don't know if this was in England or in the United States, but my little fact on this one is Brothers in Arms was the first song ever released as a CD single. So it was a single. Obviously, I knew that if I would have read my notes, but it was the first CD single really? ever released. Yeah. Huh. And so, do you know what the first CD mass-pressed was? I thought it was Nylon Curtain. Right. Yeah. So Good Night Saigon. So. Um, so this season, we've had the first cuss single, and now we've had the first CD single. Yeah, look at that. Look at us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one, Zade? Yeah, Alan kind of took my thoughts of a super underrated band and artists and the musicality of that album was just off the charts, I think. Yeah. Uh, you can listen to that whole album front to back and you can either listen to it intently or you can have it just playing in the background. It, it's, it serves so many purposes, I think. And uh, it's it's underappreciated for sure, and uh, doesn't get enough love. I'm I'm glad we're giving it a little love here today. Yeah. Now, do you agree, or should do you think I should have gone with Good Night Saigon? Well, we would have had a. Well, I know we would have, but yeah. before um, I knew you were choosing Leningrad. Um, I like them both. I think they both have their own merits. Um, what I like about Good Night Saigon is that you have that. That refrain where he pulls the veterans in. To we all sing. go down together. Yeah, we we'll all go yeah. down together. Um, to me, that's he doesn't play it in concert live anymore. At least not the last few times I've seen him. But when he used to, he would call the veterans up on um, stage. Yeah, up on stage, he would call the VA and and ask for you know the names of veterans to bring them up and actually have them sing. I love the rotors. Billy Joel uses a lot of sound effects, which uh, to me sometimes that's kind of cringeworthy. It works. With good nights oh, gone. Oh, it has such a slow intro yeah, and a slow it's, exit. It's a beautiful intro and outro. Um, Brothers in Arms, though, it is darker. Yeah. I mean, you're not. You're not wrong. I. I, I like. I, I. think they both have their, their merits. I, I think you really you couldn't have gone wrong with with either choice. So. But you know, there's that whole you know idea, the military idea, no man left behind, and I right. think this song, you know, really expresses that so well. Um, is that it doesn't matter because you know the military is made up of people like I said from all across the country from different regions different cultures even people who like Oingo Boingo over Bruce Springsteen <laughs> <laughs> people with political differences racial differences sexual orientation differences and so you come together with that purpose and all that stuff evaporates it's such a special thing that we'll never be able to truly experience yeah, never understand it yep agreed alright that's all for me alright okay, so this is my last your song. last pick yeah you guys have one more each, yeah? Yep, yep, that's correct. Okay, so here's my last song to make the list. It, it's the, the, And it kind of falls into a guilty pleasure category for me because it's not at all the kind of music that I digest often. And I know how much you guys love the adult contemporary music on your podcast. <laughs> we don't hate it. We just make yeah, fun of it. Yeah. I love yeah, Phil well, Collins. <laughs> let, let, <laughs> let's, let's prepare to pile on here because... Uh, however, I think that this could be the second greatest song about friendship right behind You've Got a Friend. And I I feel like 
we would be amiss if we did not include it on on the 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 podcast here today the song of course is wind beneath my wings by the one and only bet midler I have not seen Beaches. Uh, I don't know if I'm one of the only Gen Xers that hadn't seen it. I know I've, I've the song's from the movie. I know it's a tearjerker, but uh, anyway. I, I, Barbara Hershey, I think, dies of cancer or something. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've never to seen it. To me, it seemed like a little insulting. Like, hey, I'm this great thing, and you are there to help me become great. Have you, have you seen the film, Zeb? Of course I've seen Beaches. Okay. Because I'm a true Gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the fact that you guys have not seen it is really going to pay poorly into what I'm about to say. Uh, (laughs) It's just my luck, I guess. However, let's talk about the song. Surprisingly, Bette Midler was not the first to record this song. The song was first recorded by somebody named Kamal, if I'm pronouncing that right, in 1982 for a country western album that he was recording. Kamal stated that it was not commercially released because because it was felt that it did not suit the country and western style. Presumably, it was because this song is rad and country music is awful. Instead, Roger Whitaker recorded the song as well. Okay. Oh, Roger <laughs> Whitaker. There's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> wow. Uh, as well as Sheena Easton and Lee Greenwood. The song appeared shortly thereafter in charted versions by Colleen Hewitt, Lou Rawls, and Gladys Knight and the Pips, as well as Gary Morris. However, the, the highest charting version of the song to date and the one we're all familiar with was recorded in 1988 by singer and actress Bette Midler for the soundtrack for the film Beaches, as you guys uh, prefaced there. This version was released as a single in early 1989, spent one week at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts in the summer of 1989. It won a Grammy Award for both Record of the Year and Song of the Year in 1990. 
1991, Bette Midler's single was certified platinum. And in 2004, Bette Midler's version of the song finished at number 44 in AFI's top tunes in America's cinema history. Perry Como recorded the song for his final studio album released by RCA Records in 1987. Como wanted Wind Beneath My Wings released as a single, but RCA refused, as one might assume. Why? Uh, Como was reportedly so angry, he vowed to never record for RCA ever again. And I don't think he ever did, but I wouldn't know. (laughs) The question is, how popular was this song? The church I grew up in was super anti-secular music, but the first time I ever heard the song was when a lady sang it in my church for some unknown reason. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Um, the, the song was made popular due to its featured in the movie soundtrack for Beaches, as we said. The movie stars Bette Miller and Barbara Hershey as two best friends who supports one another through life's ups and downs. Bette Miller's character is an outgoing, talented extrovert, while Barbara Hershey's character is more grounded, pragmatic, and introverted. The movie In the movie, Barbara Hershey supports Midler to... F- fulfill her dreams and show business and upon her success Midler recognizes that due to Barbara Hershey's support she was able to reach her dreams and in effect becomes the wind beneath her wings if you will in my experience when it comes to best friends there's always a bet and there's always a Barbara Alan and Dave you guys are best friends and I want to know and I think your listeners also want to know between the two of you who is Bette Midler and who is Barbara Hershey as best friends as it pertains to the movie Beaches? I don't think it applies to us because neither of us, I mean, we're basically maintained the same station in life yeah. all the way through. We're both teachers. We both are married with kids. We both stayed in Northeast Ohio. We're both largely extroverts. But yeah. For the most part. We're, yeah. We're both, I, mean, I mean, same interests, same, I don't know. Yeah. Now, if I would have sold a great screenplay or, you know, you would have gone on to write a novel or something and, and hit the bestseller list, maybe it would apply. But, um, yeah, no. It's, I, it's always been a very even, very equal. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That doesn't apply, dude. It doesn't <laughs> apply. I'm very disappointed because I really wanted at least one of you to look at each other in the eyes and say, so-and-so, Dave and or Alan, you are the wind. <laughs> I see, that would have just made my day. Like but. I said, I've always felt the song was a little insulting because of that. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, look at look at that! Look, I'm so great. Thank you for being there below me and supporting me. <laughs> That's how I've always well. Read there's it. that. <laughs> no, I, I, I like. I think I respect Ben Mittler. I, I think she's a, a great artist, a great singer, and, and entertainer. Uh, I just personally was never a fan of the song, and the movie was not in my wheelhouse at the time. Although I had a few girlfriends that you know tried to get me to watch it, and I, I refused. But. Well, I will, I will say, as a, as a wedding DJ, it is a perfect mother-son dance choice and a lot of mm-hmm. people do choose it for that reason um yeah, or father-daughter but it, it's more common that it's mother-son well, that at least is less insulting well yeah because it's it's not you know it's right. um but i've always thought it was a beautiful song i've never found it insulting i will say this for the song it does not have mick jagger walking down the street with a bad saxophone <laughs> that's true <laughs> Does not. Well, I had some. I had some great hopes for this one when I when I wrote all this stuff down and and conceived of trying to manufacture this moment between you two as best friends. We didn't fall for it. I didn't fall for it, and I feel like a total failure now. No, no. At, oh, least, no. at least you tried. 
There is that. Yes, I feel like I'm back on the show, the game show. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Well, um, sorry, man. <laughs> I got one last little fact good for this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2002, the UK poll, in a UK poll, Wind Beneath My Wings was found to be the most played song at British funerals. And uh, I, I got to say, it's for sure on my personal Zabe's funeral mixtape sandwiched somewhere between Asleep by the Smiths and No Need to Argue by the Cranberries. Oh, yeah. I, I'm hoping for the Gen X mixtape to have this topic of funeral songs on an upcoming episode. Ooh, that, would guys that would be very, I like that. My last pick for this uh, particular mixtape. Uh, I went with Lean on Me by Bill Withers. Uh, it comes from the album Still Bill from 1972, and it was a number one hit on Billboard. As opposed to Kill Bill, which was... Uh, which was a yeah. very different thing. Different yes. thing, yeah. well into his 30s by the time he got famous. Um, he had signed up for the Navy at the age of 18, and he stayed in the Navy for nine years. Uh, when he got out, Withers decided he'd try to make it as a songwriter. He sold all of his furniture to a co-worker, and he used the money to move to, to L.A., um, but that took time. So I, Withers spent years working in an aircraft factory. He was actually 32 by the time he hit with Ain't No Sunshine. Um, Withers kept that factory job, in fact, for a while, even after Ain't No Sunshine came out, convinced that success would be fleeting. And on the cover of Just As I Am, his debut album, he's standing outside the factory in Burbank holding his lunchbox. Um, Withers, you know, he came up singing and playing the, the acoustic guitar, but when the Ain't No Sunshine money started rolling in, he bought himself a Wurlitzer. So we're back to the uh, electric piano. Electric piano. Um, he wrote Lean on Me one day uh, when he was noodling at the piano and he was running his hands up and down the keyboard and the phrase apparently, he says, just popped into his head, Lean on Me. Um, the song, it's, it's a pledge of friendship, of support in our worst moments, but make no mistake, it, it, it's a love song. All, all the songs we've chosen, most of the songs we've chosen today are love songs from, from a slightly different point of view, but his label didn't understand what he was doing. They, they wanted him to write about romantic love but according to Withers, romantic love, this is a direct quote, romantic love is the most fickle thing in the world. He said the consistent kind of love is that kind that will make you go over and wipe mucus and saliva from somebody's face after they've become brain dead. He said romantic love 
you only want to touch people because they're pretty and they appeal to you physically, the more substantial kind of love is when you want to touch people and care for them when they're at their worst. That's what, pretty deep. Is what Bill Wither said. Um, Before they wither away. Yeah. They, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was my one for this episode. No, that was number two. Uh, <laughs> lean on me, though. Um, to me, it's it's such a simple song. You know, I, Wither sings in his warm, graceful baritone. The melody is campfire sing-along stuff, really. And, you know, it's direct, it's uncluttered. And when the chorus hits, lean on me when you're not strong, I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on, Withers jumps up an octave, and you can actually hear him pleading in just a little bit. Um, he wants to help, he wants you... He, he wants, or rather, how do I say this? He knows that you don't want to admit whatever is happening in this song. But he knows that you need to open up, he knows that you need the help, and that things will get easier when you ask. Withers, he was never a showy vocalist. And he's, he's really probably one of the most underrated R&B, one of the most underrated soul performers, I think, of all time. But he could still reach for huge, devastating notes. And he, he doesn't do any of that on Lean On Me. He keeps things soft, he sighs, he reassures. And yet there's this enormous feeling in his voice. To me, the, the key is when he says, for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to love. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he knows that his day is coming. The same situation will it will befall him. Um, and in that, in that way, Lean On Me, to me, it's, it's like a social contract. You know, it's a promise of mutual support. It's just this beautifully idolized vision of how things are supposed to work. Um, now, now, just to cut you off for a second, why didn't you go with the more Gen X version from Club Nouveau? Uh, because it does not invoke the... Bill Withers is classy. Yes, he is. It's beautiful. Yes, it is. It is... It, there's a grace to his version Club Nouveau, this is not a song that's meant to be a, a dance track. Gotcha. Club Nouveau, when, when the moment they add that, you know, the... It, it just the, the synthesizer. Yeah, I, and, and the, you know, the, the... track and the... I just, I track. never cared for the version. I, yeah. I always hated their version. Like Club Nouveau, be jamming. <laughs> we be jamming. They be jamming. We I, be jamming. I, I, yeah. Dun, 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 I, I, dun, dun, I recall dun, somebody yeah. singing that to me once or twice. Um, but but I don't, <laughs> here's the thing. Others may cite Bridge Over Troubled Water, which we none of us included, which is kind of... I was surprised um, at that. You know why yeah. I didn't? Because you had old friends originally. I, yeah, I had old friends. And so I stayed I, away from I, Bridge I, Over Troubled yeah, Water. and I, I dropped it. But, you know, others may cite Bridge Over Troubled Water. I, we've already talked. I mean, Zabe has already said you've got a friend to him is the greatest you know, friendship song. Um, some people, I mean, people cite other songs as the gold standard. You got a friend in me by Woody. I, th I thought about that at one point. Um, yeah. Or wasn't Woody who sang it? It, it was Randy Newman. <laughs> no, no, but it was the, it was the uh, the penguin well, squeaker the, penguin. That thing. was in the sequel. That was in the second one. Okay, anyway. which was Robert Goulet, I think. Was yes, 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 yes. Um, <laughs> but you know, for me, here's the thing: "Lean on Me" will always be to me the greatest friendship song. It just will. It's a brilliant single. I it's I think it's possibly the only positively life affirming hit single that is not in any way cheesy or unbearably sentimental. Um, and aided by Withers' confident, self assured vocals, the, uh, the track's impeccable arrangement. I just I'm I'm a, I'm a soul guy anyway. I love mm, yeah. love soul. I love blues. I love R and B. This song it it can move me to tears if I surrender to it. it, it, it I don't know that there's any other friendship song that has that same effect on me. I think you made the right choice by going with this version. But my experience, I didn't know the song prior. Okay. Okay? And so the Club Nouveau version was the first version I heard, which I liked initially. I later got 
really sick of it. Uh, it was actually the first song I, I was able to peck out on the piano and, and, and begin to play, which was kind of cool. Uh, but um, but then when I heard the Bill Withers version, I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, this is garbage. The, yeah. You know, this, the remake's not garbage, but it's, it does it doesn't compare to the original. Right. Well, yeah. And you know, he even gets kind of funky there at the end when, with with the repeated call on me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the song just it 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 I don't know. There's so much going on in the song, but it is so incredibly simple. It's simple to learn how to play. It's simple to sing. It's it, it proves that friendship is not friendship is not a complicated thing. Right. You know, it's it's a good metaphor for that. It's just you know you you make an effort and you have mutual respect and appreciation and it should just come naturally. Yeah. You know. So I I, I love this song. So All right. good. Any I defy anyone to find somebody that doesn't at least appreciate the song. Right. If not love it, you know, everyone loves that song. It's a, it's an all time classic. It'll always be a classic. Definitely. All right. Does that bring us to the last song? Last song. All right. Now you guys can you can crap all over my choice because my the next song I'm going to talk about is probably no better than Wing Between <laughs> Wind Beneath My Wings. Okay, it falls in the same. I category. guarantee it's not better. <laughs> <laughs> um, once in a while, uh, I pull out a, a Broadway song. Um, and, go ahead. I was just really surprised this made your list. Well, I, I, I'm ready to defend this one to the death here, okay? okay go for it. Yeah. Um, I, I chose one from Hamilton, and I'm choosing one from Wicked. And so uh, even though Broadway isn't what we do, it's not in our wheelhouse, there are certain Broadway songs that transcend the stage and become part of the pop culture zeitgeist. All right? Obviously, Hamilton did that in a big way. Um, so did Wicked. And, you know, I, I, I love the musical when it came out. I still love it. I, I see it every time it comes into town. Um, it's one of those Venn diagram things that my wife and I both truly love. Um, this song, to me, epitomizes friendship um, maybe better than any song. And it's from a perspective that I can't relate to because it's about a friendship between two women. And that's why I wanted to choose this because a lot of the songs that we chose, you know, and rightfully so, right? We talk about what we know are about friendship among men or could be either way but this one i think is specifically about a friendship between women and i think we've all known women maybe our wives or sisters or friends who have that other best friend you know while they might fight and just like friends do they they have that soul bond right that that we can't understand as men and i'm not sure if you've seen wicked or not i mean mo most people know it's it's based on the the novel by um uh, McGuire, what was his first name? Uh, Gregory. Gregory McGuire's fantasy novel, which gives us an alternate look of, of the witches of Oz. And I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but at the, but the mm -hmm. end of the show, the two witches um, part ways, and they have this number where they have to say goodbye. And when Stephen Schwartz was writing this, he knew there had to be a song that conveyed this emotion. And he smartly uh, went to his teenage daughter and said, uh, let me ask you something. How would you feel if you never saw your best friend ever again? If you knew that tonight was gonna be the last time you would ever see her, what would you say to her? And so he listened to what his daughter said and then he took that emotion, he took some of those actual words itself and he incorporated that into the composition of this song. I've heard it said that people come into our lives for a reason Bringing something we must learn And we are led to those 
If you've seen the musical, you know there's all sorts of wordplay between good, the good witch, right? The the Wizard of Oz had there's all sorts of different puns in there. So for good, and she's the good witch, one is singing the the idea that, you know, you've changed me for good, which is an expression we use a cliche, right? Oh, we you know, I did that for but but to mean through the arcs of a friendship, even though we have to part, we've both been changed. We've both been changed in a positive way that wouldn't have happened without the other one. Yes, it's kind of on the nose, but it's a musical. Just like when Beneath My Wings, it's that type of, I guess, a dull contemporary type pop song. But if you've seen the musical and you, you live through the emotion of that and you get to that part, I'm sorry, if you're not bawling your eyes out, then you haven't truly experienced Wicked. And so that's my defense. Go ahead and crap all over it. First of all, I'm not going to crap all over it. Secondly... I've never read McGuire's book. I've never seen the musical. The musical's better. Okay, I, yeah. I, I've never musical's seen better. it. Um, and preparing for today's episode, listening to the song on your on your playlist, it was the first time I've ever heard this song. Interesting. Um, I know nothing about. Well, I mean, I know it's the way. But you know, Defying Gravity, know right? You know that song. I figured yes. that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I right. have I have heard Defying Gravity. Right. Yes, that's true. I have heard Defying Gravity. Um, I mean, I know it's the Wizard of Oz, but I I don't know the first thing about Wicked. I've never. It's, I and I like I love the theater. I mean, I like musicals. I prefer dramas, but I like musicals, and I I've, there are many that I do love. 
Wicked has just never been high on my I've never really It's a Broadway show for people that don't like Broadway. The story is so good. Everybody comes into it knowing something about it because what? what what's that? I'm just thinking if you don't like Broadway, why would you go see a Broadway show? No. Well, <laughs> but my point is you, you come into already knowing The Wizard of Oz, right? right? It's yeah. an alternate take on, on those characters. The story is, I, I, it's one of the few cases where they improve on the story from the original work. Okay. Like they actually made it a tighter story, a better story. And the music is very accessible um, it, it, because it's basically pop music and, you know, in musical Broadway style. Um, I would really highly recommend next time it comes to town, uh, take your wife and go see it. Seriously. I, I'm not just saying that. Like there are a lot of musicals I would not recommend to you or to other people. But this is one I could recommend to anybody in good conscience. And I think they would enjoy it. I really do. I honestly think. Okay. And now, of course, the song has been used for graduations and, and funerals. This is one that could be in a, a funeral. So it's become a little bit of a cliche. Um, I've heard it more in that context over the last 10 years than I have in the actual original context. But I had to, I had to put it on here. So, Dave, what do you think? Well, I think it's got a really good beat and you can dance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, so I got some feelings about Wicked. I got feelings about this song. Um, I, I love musicals. I love the theater. And when you say this is a, uh, Wicked is a uh, show for people that don't love the theater. Um, I agree because I did not like Wicked. Really? I didn't. That's shocking. No, I, I've loved everything I've ever seen. Wait a minute. And even I have even into the woods, even into the woods, because I can't stand into the woods and other people. I, I haven't seen okay, that. Anyway, sorry, um, go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, I, I've moved away from. I live in Utah now, and there's there's not a lot of Broadway coming through St. George, Utah. Not, right, not a lot, right. you know. So I, my access to the theater has kind of been cut off. Um, but growing up in Southern California, you know, you can see everything come through town, you know. But I was really excited to see it. I saw it and I was, I was real disappointed by it. However, I got to say, uh, I was ready to, to kind of dump on this song a little bit. <laughs> but Dave, your intro to the song and why you put it on this, uh, the mixtape is beautiful. And it's a wonderful sentiment and wholeheartedly belongs here. Absolutely. Uh, that needs to be represented. Uh, the sisterhood. Yes. Friendship, yes yep. You know, and, and and just because it's not for me. Uh, doesn't mean it's not good and doesn't mean it doesn't belong. So uh, I, I say absolutely put it on the on the mix. Oh, cool. And and, and not to, no spoilers in case Alan does see it. But what, why did you not like Wicked? What what didn't it work? I mean, because some music isn't. I thought this music was really accessible and the story was I, really tight. I, I, I just didn't like it, man. Like, I, 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 I didn't like any of the characters. I don't want to dump on it because I know yeah, you like. No, it. you can like, dump on it. I'm just it. curious because, like, you're like, mm. I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't like it. You're just the first person I've encountered that's told me they it, haven't. Well, I guess I'm a weird dude because uh, I didn't grow up with Springsteen and I like Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, you know, I, I just never, I didn't connect with any of the characters, and I think it might speak to why you put it on the tape to begin with. Okay, is I think there's a very feminine. Uh, uh, approach to it all. Mm -hmm. uh, the book is 100% different than oh, the musical. Yeah, completely different. Yeah, it's night and day. It's, it might as well be a whole other thing. Um, but the musical, yeah, it does like touch the, I think it hits the buttons for uh, ladies' friendships and dynamics between women much more than it does dynamics between men. Totally. And I think that's why it wasn't quite as accessible for me. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and I, I just couldn't hook my, put my meat hooks in it. You know, yeah, I couldn't I gotcha. like, grab any any anything i could take away from it and 
almost every show I've ever seen, I could. So that's why I was disappointed. For me. Yeah, it was one of those. It's weird because I, I had the soundtrack first. Someone uh, loaned it to me and I listened to it and, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I tried to piece together the story, you know, um, with just the songs, which sometimes is difficult to do. Of course, there are some twists and they didn't want to reveal those twists, obviously, as well. And then I got my hands on an actual bootleg copy where someone sat in the back of the Broadway theater with a camcorder. <laughs> and, and so it wasn't the best quality, but it was the original cast, which was really cool to see Idina and, um, and Kristen um, perform that. And so then I, you know, understood the story. And, and I'd read the novel since. And I don't know if you liked the novel. You mentioned you'd read it. To me, it, it, the concept was great, but it just was all over the place for me, you know? Yeah. And this yeah. really tightened the story, and, and it was like it needed an editor, and, and uh, Winnie Holzman, who wrote the book, and, and Stephen Schwartz kind of gave it that structure that it needed. And yeah, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that, like, um, I'm not as testosterone-driven as maybe <laughs> a lot of other men. There's a very feminine part of my personality, and, and I'm okay with that. And it, it's very easy for me to watch something. Maybe if I watch Beaches, I'd feel the same way. So, yeah, even though it's not my experience, and it is a musical about two women and their friendship, uh, I could totally relate and, and feel the emotions, and it just worked for me. Well, to hear your summary, I'm sure if I do, when I do see it, I feel that I have that effeminate, you know, part of me as well. But, no, I just never, it just never really drew me. I mean, I'll, I'll sit, I love, like, Hamilton, Rent. I like the quirky stuff. Avenue Q or oh, Avenue Q or Spamalot. You know, I, I love. I, I I love Broadway. I love theater. I, I mean, one of my favorites is Hedwig. You know, I, mm -hmm. I love the I love the offbeat, non-traditional, very you know, the the, the musicals that take chances. Sure, I guess. sure, yeah. I just never. It, it, this one just never really caught my eye so but, but on your on your recommendation next time it comes through town I'll speaking of Avenue Q I can't believe we haven't not we haven't featured the song mixtape yet I know uh, are you familiar with Avenue Q say I'm not okay. I, I've, I've it's been recommended to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Listen to it at least on Spotify or something because um, it's starting. It's it starting. Unfortunately, it's starting to become dated. Uh, it really is a Gen X musical. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh -huh. based on a mock Sesame Street, which we all grew up on, and all the issues they sing about were issues at the time, which were very relevant. And nowadays, you look back and you're like, well, it doesn't really hold up as well. But it. But but anyone that lived through that time will find it really entertaining. Isn't it like Dirty Sesame Street? Oh yeah. Yes, that's exactly exactly. <laughs> there, there, there's what a, it there's, is. A, there's a, a puppet sex scene in in the. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, Count me <laughs> in. and it's funny because my, my daughter was very involved in theater growing up, and then she got involved in the technical aspect. And uh, we have a local um, theater, community theater here in town, and she was the stage manager. It, w it was performed by adults, but she was the stage manager for the show. And I remember going to see it and a, a guy I worked with was there and he's like, um, you let your 16 year old daughter be the stage manager for the show. <laughs> well, she's a very mature 16. So it's yeah. all good. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that that wraps up uh, our 24 songs. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Now we have to sequence them in an order that makes sense. And this might be difficult with, with <laughs> the variety, but we always say that we always find a way to do that. We so do. Um, we will be right back after this. And we're back, and uh, we have come up with uh, a sequence uh, for these songs, and uh, again, I think we pulled it off. Uh, Alan, why don't you tell us what the sequence is for the mixtape? All right, so for our friendly mixtape, uh, we begin side A with The Boys Are Back in Town. That leads into You're My Best Friend by Queen, followed by Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Thank You for Being a Friend by Andrew Gold, Waiting on a Friend by The Rolling Stones, Ben by Michael Jackson, 
Lean on Me by Bill Withers into Leningrad by Billy Joel. You've Got a Friend by James Taylor. To Serve with Love, 10,000 Maniacs featuring Michael Stipe. We're Going to Be Friends by The White Stripes. And we end Side A with A Friend Like You by Andy Grammer. Side B begins with No Surrender by Bruce Springsteen. Into Mr. Wendell by Arrested Development. Don't Take Me for Granted by Social Distortion. Into Moving Right Along by the Alkaline... Alkaline? Alkaline Trio. Alkaline yeah. Trio. Um, then We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful by Morrissey. Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. Into For Good by Kristen Chenoweth and Idina Menzel. Wind Beneath My Wings, Bette Midler, Into Where Everybody Knows Your Name by Gary Portnoy. Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And we end the mixtape with Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. And folks, you'll never find another mixtape where Moz goes right into uh, Rick Springfield. <laughs> That's a first. That's, yes, that, that, is, uh, <laughs> that is a one and done. Yeah. A one-two punch, man. That's what yeah. that is. It is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Well, say this has been a lot of fun. I'm so glad that not only did you uh, seek us out and uh, invite us to be on your podcast, but that you agreed to come on to our podcast. I'm a fan of the show, like legit. So, I mean, it, it is truly a thrill for me to be here. Like, I, I enjoy what you guys do. I enjoy hearing you guys talk. And even when you go off on tangents and stuff, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always interesting. You know, you guys have a great point of view. And I, I, I felt from the very outset of listening to your guys show that these are two guys of kindred spirits and if we were ever to hook up that we would indeed be friends yes and yes. i just think it comes full circle here today and and i do consider you guys buddies and uh, i'm very thankful that you guys let me be on the show you guys are totally welcome to come back on my show anytime you want um you just you just let me know and i'll we'll, we'll, we'll work you guys in a rematch would be great i think i need to re now that I know you guys a little bit better, I can rework some of these questions uh, and 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 really uh, dial it in a little bit, Something, raise up the difficulty level a little but, bit. But then it'll be more yeah, just embarrassing when we miss it because we should know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that's, that's what I want. I, I need to yes. I need to humble you guys a little bit. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, it was it was great to be here. Thank you so much. Anyone who uh, who's listening would like to check out the my show, my podcast. It's called Who Will Save Generation X trivia game show it is a lighthearted look back at uh the cool things in pop culture of our youth we um offer a prize at the end of the episode which is basically just a um uh where i bid for items that are on my ebay watch list of just essentially stuff that you'd find at a garage sale from 1985 i guess and uh, it's a lot of fun <clears throat> and i hope you guys check it out yeah, and I will say again, your podcast is like you—it's very entertaining. And my, I did some traveling earlier um, last month. My wife and I drove quite a bit, and so um, past episodes of your podcast hit the spot. It was perfect because you know we're both Gen Xers. We're listening. We're both you know answering the questions along, which I think is part of the idea is the participation yeah. from the audience. And uh, you know, a lot of times my wife and I can't agree on what to listen to. Um, you know, she has her podcast. I have my podcast. She has her music. I have my music. But yours was the perfect culmination, like in that Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're on a long road trip, if nothing else, you know, with, with a friend or a spouse and you're Gen X, pop on this guy's uh, podcast because you will not regret it. Oh, absolutely. I've listened to several past episodes now. I love everyone. Um, Thanks. And, and thank you for inviting us back for a rematch. I, I would also say if, if ever you want to come back and, and, 
triple host with us. Well, if we do a Bruce Springsteen episode or an Oingo yeah, Boingo. That'd be great. We can, we can. I'm in. Count me in. <laughs> no, seriously, it has been so much fun to have you here. And I you know, don't want any of us to be strangers. If, if ever you'd like to do this again, just let us know. It's It's been... But kind of cool having three. Oh yeah, it, it really is. has. It has been cool. We've we've never done that. Totally, to, hopefully, technically, it sounds okay. It may sound a little bit different than our own podcast, but that's okay because it's it's about the content, right? right. So yep. I keep telling myself as a OCD sound nut. <laughs> you know what? We haven't named this episode. Oh, we haven't. Let, it, let's let Zabe. I was just going to yeah. say, why don't we give Zabe the honor? We usually name. Oh, no. We usually name the episode <clears throat> using a song title of uh, one of our song titles that was chosen. Is there a particular? I think. Thank you for being a friend would be a good title because I'm very thankful for you guys being a friend to me. Let me be on the show. All right. We'll do it. Works for us. Perfect. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to end this now because I think we've probably gone long. So if you've been uh, stayed with us this entire time, we appreciate it. At least, at least we're not doing the actual mixing uh, live like we used to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for those people that start with our earliest, our, our first episodes. Um, real fast, our next two-part episode is Criminal. So we will be giving you a, a mixtape of bad boys, outlaws, uh, just, you know. Criminals. Criminals. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then after that, what, two hit wonders? Two hit wonders, 80s, two hit 80s, wonders. 80s, two hit wonders, and then. Um, and then we're still. Maybe another Uncharted. Well, we're doing another Uncharted. We're, we're figuring things out. Yep, but, but, we're figuring things but out. Criminal is the next one, and uh, can't wait to bring it to you. All right, sounds good. Well, that's all for this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits in two weeks. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Later. Later.